Hello, welcome to Finding the Line. I'm Ben. I'm Anna. And I'm Nathan. Yeah, here we are for a whole new episode. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm pumped as. You're pumped. Nathan's pumped. Pumped is brew. Very pumped. <laughs> <laughs> so we are finishing up our series on the Bible. Yep. And we've got Anna along here for a little bit more fun conversation. You added so much to our last episode. We really appreciated it. It was wonderful. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> that's so, that's all I have to say yeah. about that. Yeah, that's it. It's like, it was whoop, whoop. Yeah, was, that's lovely. Whoop, I'm glad. Whoop. Oh, no, she whooped. <laughs> oh, I have to say, I very much enjoyed having you, Anna. And I just enjoyed like ripping into you two's upbringing. It, I kind of I listened to the episode a couple of times. I started to feel bad. I was like, "Oh my goodness, such an asshole to you two. <laughs> this was a precious upbringing." In fact, and I go, <laughs> I, "I spoke to someone yesterday, hmm. um, Ben's mum actually, and she was like, we weren't that weird.'" <laughs> <laughs> what was you guys' response? I mean, do you think it was weird? We just nodded and smiled, and she's listening to this. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Hello, mum. No, our, our, we weren't that. It wasn't that weird, like. Yeah, yeah, like, salt in some Bible donut, man. Cultish Clearly. or anything like that. Like, yeah. Yes, it was, and you know, what I thought the only about thing it. that concerned me about everything you just said is that probably majority of our downloads come from you. <laughs> <laughs> in what sense? Like, in terms so of if you're multi, if you're listening to the show a lot. <laughs> oh right, yes. I listened to the episode like maybe two and a half times. I thought it was hilarious. I had um, someone on our, uh, our download speeds that was downloading and listening from Ireland. So if you're from Ireland, please give us a shout out. I want to know who yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah, that would be wonderful. <laughs> I want to know who we want to know who you are. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Anyway, well, let's get into our Q and A section. Yeah, rock and roll. Okay, we are pulling a question out of the hat this time. And this is going to be a little bit more like a game. It's probably like something Cards Against Humanity-esque. Oh, yeah. Sort of thing. So the question is, what if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Mm -hmm. That's the question, so keep that in mind. But there's a twist. Once you tell us what your superpower is, the other two people here will collectively decide what your weakness is or what the drawback is for your power, right? So we, we had sort of the idea that... For example, say you chose flying as your ability. Hope no one does. <laughs> uh, we would say, so flying is my superpower. And we would say, but you can only fly at walking speed. Right? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Superman to the rescue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With Jeopardy playing in the background. That's it. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so you kind of get the idea. Oh my so God. who wants to go first? Um, I'll well, go first. Yeah, you go. You go. Um, sorry. Apparently, everybody has like a go-to superpower that they would normally answer in mm-hmm. in this like to this question. Um, I don't right. at all. Okay. So obviously, all of the normal ones kind of come to mind: flying or invisibility or mm. super speed. Um, I would like to be able to hear what other people are thinking. Ooh. Yes. Interesting. Oh. You took my one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good She's one. using her power. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So why would you like that one? Um, I think it would just make life so much easier. I know, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Like if you knew what someone was thinking, yes. then you would stop making assumptions about mm. what they were thinking. Yes. And you would probably be way less 
self-conscious because people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they're thinking about you. Yeah, 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 totally. I I like that. What's the weakness that we're going to come up with? I kind of want it to be something, like for me, I think it's something. I, I, we'll, we'll each give one. Okay. To choose, can, can I right? go first? You go. I've what's, the weakness. The, what's the weakness for it? But you can't turn it off. You Ooh. walk past somebody and you're starting to get their thoughts and you're like, I didn't want to be in range, but you're in range. And you're all in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, or you have to hear all of the voices sound like Smeagol from Lord of the Rings. That is amazing. <laughs> that was brilliant. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really no different than how people just sound. <laughs> <laughs> That is how everyone sounds in my head anyway. Oh, good. Choose your weakness. Choose your weakness. (laughs) Yeah, which one? Um, I think I'd rather hear everybody as Smeagol. Yeah, oh, easily. Than not be able to turn it off. Because that would be, yeah, I think you'd last a week before. Oh, that would suck. It'd be like um, Bruce Almighty. Isolating yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All, All right, prayers as post-its. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was wonderful. <laughs> right, I'll go next. Go. So my long-standing uh, default response to this question is if I, and it's a random one, if I had any superpower, I'd like the ability to be able to control sound. Okay. Which sounds <laughs> sound. <laughs> but it's actually quite a powerful one in the sense that, you know, you get to basically control all vibrations in the air. Um, and as Continue. Far as strength, and yeah, so like bending sound waves or creating loud noises or quiet noises, silencing things. Um, yeah. Okay. Get um, your head around that. You we- have clearly thought about this way too much. It's pretty OP. I like it. <laughs> yeah. It's damn. Can you think of anything like a weakness? That's a hard one. That's actually <laughs> really hard. The sound. Ooh. Go, you go, you go. Yes, but you're deaf. Oh, nice. Oh, damn. <laughs> I was so it's like sonar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to like yell. <laughs> <laughs> Got a good look at your face there. So <laughs> I uh, sound will manifest itself as a hand and slap you in the face periodically. <laughs> Every time you use it. I, yeah. I like Anna's one because it basically makes me daredevil and I'm down with that. Oh, rock and roll. She interests that until good. Damn. I oh, know because daredevil's blind. You said, um, but I'm deaf. <laughs> it's interesting because it, kind of it actually makes my power almost null and void. Does it? I don't know. What can you do? What else could you do with your power? Well, if you can control sound, yeah. controlling it for everybody else. Yes. That's interesting. I like... Th- I like th- I- I- I think I like it because it creates an in-depth character, so I'm down with that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right, Nathan, go. It's a story right there. Um, uh, well, the flying one's kind of taken and the mind one's kind of taken. So I'll think of something original. My original one was, uh, I think, just the ability to like, like retain knowledge very, very well. Like I read a book, I can be like, and be like, yep, cool, memorized it, boom. I think, um, what's that movie? There's a movie where some guy takes on a pill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like with Limitless. Bradley Cooper, Limitless. That's yeah, right. Yeah. A bit like that, like that, that kind of like, hello, and then we're like, and okay, just, yeah, that. But Meta, your weakness like, is you can't tell anybody any of the information because oh. you have no voice. Oh, mine, mine's sort of an opposite vein of that, in that you can only quote it directly in bulk. 
<laughs> guys are the worst. <laughs> um. Okay, this, I'm probably I'm probably deconstructing this way too much. But on yours, ones, Anna, like I guess I couldn't like directly be like, um, quotes or anything like that. But it can still inform, perhaps. Would you say it informs how I then live? Like it's like, oh, I've just learnt about deep meditative practices that are grounding. Now I'm going to be grounded. Well, I don't have to tell people about that. I can just come across as a more peaceful, loving person. I guess in the same way that the Little Mermaid had no voice. And wow. she was still able to live her life. So you go, Nathan. You yeah. go be the Little Mermaid. Yeah, I'll be the Little Mermaid. <laughs> you do that. Or in the words of that other movie that I've completely forgotten this moment, you go, Clan Coco. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that one. Mean Girls. Mean Girls. Yeah, that's such a good film. All Rock right, well, roll. tune in next time to hear what Disney princess would you like to be. <laughs> <laughs> So we're ending up our Bible series. Uh, so largely we've, we've done a lot of talking about, I mean, at the beginning we talked about what the Bible has meant to us personally or what we've been doing with it. Um, but then we've done a lot of very detailed mm. talking about how it's read, different ways, well, not how much it's read, but like what do we do with it as a text? Where did it come from? Yeah, like is, how did it come to be? Is it quote unquote God's word? What do we even mean by that? Yeah, the, and that's all very much research of the text in itself mm. as it is. Um, but we want to take a little bit of a bent, different bent with it now and come more present day or more personal, I guess, mm. and talk about, ready for the big theological word? Hermeneutics. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, so hermeneutics, I'll give a brief thing on that and we're going to debate what that means. <laughs> um, hermeneutics is a process of us understanding or interpreting what we read. And the reason we want to talk about that here today is because there's actually lots of different ways to interpret the text and sometimes we get stuck in one way of doing that. Yeah. So... Uh, who has anything to add in on how we understand hermeneutics here at this point? So my example of hermeneutics as opposed to exegesis, cool. um, which is another... Not related to Jesus himself. No, not ex-Jesus, but exegesis. <laughs> um, so hermeneutics is the interpretation of the scripture, if you like, and exegesis is the breaking down of the scripture into the the different contexts historical literary um cultural just all the different um all the different contexts that make that scripture the scripture okay is it like um just for example i'm gonna use the cake analogy again because i did in the last episode is it like Mm, i know that's probably why it's hermeneutics (laughs) like we're talking about we're talking about looking at the cake, like it's the whole thing of the cake, and then like it's more meta. But then with exegesis, it's like, well, let's let's talk about how we make this cake. Like, here's the eggs, here's the milk, here's the this, uh, i.e., here's the historical context, the grammar, the genre. You could say that. Okay. <laughs> should, should he? <laughs> that's yeah. That's a good way. <laughs> I guess my opinion sure. is um, that. I suppose, like, I gave the example earlier that, and 
this is probably a very weak example, but it's mine, so leave it alone. Um, if you were to go to a different country, let's say Russia, and you were talking to somebody who only spoke Russian and you only spoke English, you would have an interpreter. Mm-hmm. So let's call the interpreter hermeneutics. Yeah. Hey, Herm. <laughs> and, um, but then you being there in that country, you were experiencing the culture. You were being yeah. immersed into the context of, of which sure. okay. you, were, that you makes, were in. That's so, a much better way of explaining it. So you can look at the hermeneutics being the interpreter telling you what's being said to you. Yep. Um, and exegesis being your experience of being yeah, it's immersed. The immersed in it. experience. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think I've heard it like that before as well. So that's actually kind of that's a great picture. I like that. I, d- I don't know if my um, lecturer would agree. My. Um, oh, your ex- former lecturer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But um, you know. Who knows? Whatevs. Right. Whatevs. <laughs> so, sounds great, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what's the importance of talking about this then? Mm. Um, well, I think the, the importance of talking about it is in terms of... I mean, I, I'm probably taking a bit of a different angle. Mm-hmm. And that is... So, using that, that going to Russia picture... Because I think that's a kind of a cool, cool metaphor, analogy, whatever word. I don't know what the right word is. Anyway, um, it kind of like gives me. I'm probably more interested in who, who, who am I as a person going to Russia? Am I going to go to Russia skeptical of Russia? Am I going to go to Russia very excited about Russia? Am I going to go to Russia as somebody who, if I lived in Russia, would be impressed? Like you know, so I know there's some law very terrible laws against lgbt people like you know so if i was an lgbt person for example going to russia versus somebody who's straight so i think i'm i'm really interested in like the intersection between the type of person as you are as you approach scripture as you do hermeneutics yeah so as you do exegesis like, so you're talking about the self-reflective process of who you are coming to it yeah which yeah. i which i actually think is super important like because you know people can come to the Bible and they can weaponize the Bible mm-hmm. and so they can just make make what they want to make out of the text to, to weaponize and use it against people. Mm. You, you might come to the scripture as a, as a person who is skeptical of it and be like, so you, you have this, what I've heard is of a hermeneutics of suspicion, like you're suspicious of the text from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. Or you might uh, approach a text going like, actually, I, I want I want to grow from this and I want to be transformed by this. And so you come to the text with a kind of a, a with a, a an approach to be taught. So I'm interested in that, but I don't, don't, we don't just have to talk about that. It's just something that I've from from a psychological angle interested because I actually think that intersection is like kind of the secret source to even just how we approach the Bible personally. It's actually like even on a broader sense, it's a really cool exercise to do. I remember doing an essay or project on it at one point where we had to sit there and go like a list out. Let's list down all of the features in my life that make up who I am as best I can. So yep. it's like, well, I am male. Um, I live in Australia. I am of this age bracket. I um, am white. I have this life experience. I come from a Christian home. So, and then go through each of those. And like, how does that impact my life? How does that? Mm. How do I see things because of that stuff? Yes. Um, so even like the basic example you 
you gave, like I come from a Christian household, so my approach to the Bible is one of very is a very natural one. Yep. Like, yep, that's just normal. That's a book that we read. Yep. It has it's a text with some authority in my life for values and morals and stuff like that. Yes. Whereas someone who doesn't come from that context will look at that same scenario and go, well, this is like a book that we don't has no authority, has no meaning, perhaps, or yeah. it's just boring. Yeah. Um. And so it's a very um, it's a good, very good, pro- very healthy process to do for anything, mm. um, but especially for this because once you know where you are, then you can look at it from different perspectives. Yes, and recognize that there are different perspectives. Yeah, does that make sense? Hmm. Yes, I guess I have questions though. Mm, ask. So, if we're talking hermeneutics, and hermeneutics is um, basically your interpretation bible um you've got to think about the intent of the person interpreting the Mm -hmm. bible so obviously a slightly different vein there are lots of interpretations of the bible Mm -hmm. you walk into a um bible shop yeah christian bookstore and um there's the niv the nlt the um, the Good News virgin, Version. Virgin? <laughs> That's good news. That's great. It's good news to someone. <laughs> um, the King James. The, yeah. There's lots and lots and lots of yeah. versions yes. of the Bible. So um, I guess I'm kind of wondering with that, like the intention of the people that mm. that interpreted those bibles from the original greek or hebrew or whatever they were doing um each one of them was different so it might be that their in their intention for interpreting the bible into modern english was because they struggled or they had family members that struggled to read Mm. the king james or whatever it might be but they all had intentions yes totally yeah for for what they brought to their reasoning for doing that. Yeah. And I think to some degree, when anybody is reading the Bible, they have an intent behind what they're doing and how they're interpreting. Yeah. So your intent for reading the Bible when you're reading it by yourself might be very different to your intent for reading the Bible when you're about to preach a sermon. Yes, true. Yes. So um, I think our intent plays a big Definitely. So I suppose I said I had a question. My question is, um, how do you think intent can impact the way, oh, the, the yeah. difference that we the, that we might find yes. in interpretation? Yeah, well, just thinking of my own um, kind of uh, church tradition, something that's quite big within Pentecostal and charismatic circles is unfortunately like the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. And so, yeah, yeah, like the intent being they have this desire to accumulate wealth and um, to continue to accumulate wealth and then how that, I would say, malicious intent then informs the way they interpret certain passages. Is that what you mean? Like, would that be kind of a way of kind of exploring the the question? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. And I think it's actually something really, really important to be aware of because, and I like Rachel Hill that Evan says this in her book, Inspired, at least she says it there. She might say it other places as well. But she makes the comment that, especially books like the Bible, because of its broad topic and its broad um, range of conversations and stuff that it's having, happening, 
you can find whatever you want in that text yep. if you are looking for it. Yeah. And so you will find an argument to support slavery. You will find an argument to support health, wealth, and prosperity. Yes. Um, and the interesting challenge that comes out of that is the way you use the Bible or the way that you, the things you take out of the Bible actually says a lot more about you mm. than it does about the text itself. Mm. Mm. Um, and that can be quite challenging because like a lot of people go, well, health, wealth, and prosperity is a really big one. Mm. Like, well, the Bible says that that's the way it is. But it's like, well, no, that actually says something about what you want to hear from it yes. and the values you have in life. So you value health, wealth, and prosperity. And that's why you're finding it here. Mm. Um, it's not to say it isn't a topic. That's not to say it isn't uh, mentioned in some way in those senses. But you are coming at it and building at a specific argument because of yourself, not because of the text. Yeah. And that's what I meant before by like who you are as an interpreter, mm. like approaching the text. Bec- and I th- and that's why I think it's 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 core to actually be willing to have an honest conversation with our intentions and mm. with the way to approach the text, and, and this is kind of something I- I- as long as you guys don't mind because I actually have some some thoughts on that exact thing. Take it away. You guys looked at my notes just then. Yes, it is long. He has so many notes. This is actually a long quote, and actually, yes, but it, it does tie into even just as an interpreter how we approach the text because mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a, a, a topic within this topic. Um, I'm. I, I think there are two two extremes um, that I speak in person. There are two extremes I think has to be avoided. Um, one is to say that you have the the objective reading. It's like yes, I have the perfect God's point of view, God's eye view of reality of what this text completely means. I know one hundred and twenty percent what Isaiah was on about, what Paul was on about or for that matter, what Jesus was on about when I read this text. I totally get it. I I do think, though, the other extreme is also worth to be avoided as well, like thinking that just because we are subjective human beings, which we are, to make it mean, says, oh, well, because we can't ultimately know the meaning or anything, let's just be flimsy and lazy with the text and I'll just make it mean what I want it to mean. I I do think there is what I I heard from my fanboy that I always talk about, N.T. Wright, what he calls a hermeneutics of love. Have you guys heard of this concept before? Uh, not in a direct sense, but I can continue. Explain it to me. And yeah, I'll tell us about it. There, there is a quote. Can I read the quote? You may. It's an extended quote. Okay. Well, so this comes from his book, The um, uh, New Testament and the People of God. Sweet. It looks um, very extended. It's, it is extended. I'm so comfy. Just, I've just, got popcorn. It is long. Holy crap, it's long. <laughs> so this is the uh, N.T. Wright extended version. Oh my goodness, version. that whole thing? Yeah, uh, don't worry. Uh, it's okay. I'll skip bits which are as you wish. Repair you go. All right. <laughs> he says this: um, We must renounce the fiction of a God's eye view of events on the one hand, and a collapsing of event into significance or perception on the other. I suggest a hermeneutical model that's called a hermeneutics of love. This means that the text can be listened to on its own terms, without being reduced to the scale of what the reader can or cannot understand at the moment. If it is puzzling, the good reader will um, pay the compliment of struggling to understand it, of living with it and continuing to listen. But however close the reader gets to understand the text, the reader will still be, uh, th- yeah, the reader that's reading it. The subjective is never lost, nor is it necessarily the desirable or desirable that it should be. At this level, love will mean attention, the readiness to let the other be the other, the willingness to grow and change in oneself in relation to the other. At each level, we say both and, not either or. 
Can I explain that? Because I feel like that can be a bit abstract. Yeah, go for it. But I did have a way of looking at it. So if you think of like going on a date with somebody, mm-hmm. right? Um, he, he, I think he's, what he's trying to say is to take in this hermeneutics of love when you approach the text. He's pretty much saying that there's, there's you want to you want to avoid, <laughs> there's a myth that we can be objective. It's a myth. We yeah, can't be objective. Yeah, right, yeah. No one can be perfectly objective. Uh, that we have God's point of view on on things. Um, because we are always subject, we're always subjective. Yeah, it's who we are. Yep. Um, however, um, yeah. So we're never on the outside looking in. But equally, the problem that can is that just because we are subjective, the temptations to get lazy and make the text mean what we want it to mean. It's like, oh, just make it mean what I want it to mean. Uh, but I, I think of it in terms of like knowing somebody. Imagine if you did that to a person. Mm. Imagine if you were like, you know, supposing we know everything about that person perfectly that would be arrogant and actually at its core, very manipulative to be like, Oh, I perfectly know that person. Um, but then likewise, we can never know, a, but likewise, just because we can never know a person perfectly, um, we can't do the equal failure of actually getting to know that person. Mm. And in that sense, um, because I think in doing that, we just start to think, well, whatever we want about them um, and without doing the hard work of questioning and listening and actually loving that person, listening to to understand that person, and because I actually think it would actually actually end up in the same ditch because we would just paint a picture of that person however we want to paint it, and make them in our own image, mm. essentially. Um, and I think ironically we actually end up in that same ditch. We become arrogant, manipulative because we can just make that mean whatever we mean. Mm. So I want to go like look at the Apostle Paul or look at Isaiah, and. I want to take, <laughs> I want to take Paul out on a date, <laughs> or Isaiah out on a date, or Ruth, yeah, or you know, I, I want to, I want to actually get to know the author actually within their own context, but never assume that I fully get it, or like you know, or or, or even I don't don't even want to say there's only one way to look at those those people because you know then we're crossing the bridge into application. There might be multiple applications depending on the circumstances, for example. Mm. But I guess I want to have a rich conversation to actually understand and. I find that hermeneutics of love is, is a way that avoids um, the myth of pure objectivity, but then also naive subjectivity. Keyword naive. Like, we're always going to be subjective, but just to be like, well, I'm just going to make the text mean what I want. Like, I, I do think in love, you can seek to understand, not merely to project our own yeah. interpretations on the text. Cool. So, how do we then like proactively go about that in mm. a sense so mm. like i like the analogy of a date in a sense or just uh, like building a relationship with someone mm. say this is a this is a text like yeah. we're reading isaiah or we're reading yeah. something like that yeah like what is it you can do that allows you to get to know isaiah for example yeah, yeah that text yeah because you can't actually have a conversation with exactly Isaiah, he's right? dead <laughs> <laughs> taking the dead do that on the day yeah dead in the ground yeah. spoilers Nathan spoilers yeah. <laughs> spoilers yeah yeah Isaiah still isn't alive shock people yeah <laughs> um mm. and I guess like in that sense it almost comes an analogy of like how do we get to know someone historically who has died absolutely yeah um and you know it's about learning about them but it's not the, we also run into the limitation if we just take that. So if we just take all of the information about someone from Wikipedia, yeah, 
right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's a very narrow perspective yes. and a singular perspective on the matter. Yes. Um, and even getting to know someone alive and in our everyday lives, we're yeah. building relationship with them. Part of the rela- part of that relationship building process is getting to know the people in their lives. Yes. So you get to see them through the eyes of others. Yes. Um, so various perspectives. Yeah. Allow us to see something in a more whole sense. Yeah. Um, of course, that balances. Like, and I like you said the arrogance to that nobody should claim that they know someone fully mm. because that it, how belittling for me if someone were to go yeah like I know who you are I've got you pinned oh, you it's are actually this. my biggest <laughs> it's actually my biggest pet peeve yeah right. <laughs> like when people are like oh yeah you're just like that Nathan I'm like you don't know me <laughs> so how anyway. do, we, um, do we have any concepts on how we would do that for text mm. other people speak first so I've spoken <laughs> a bloody long quote so. <laughs> So, sorry, what exactly is your question? Because Okay, so let me build in some information around that. Uh, what are ways that we can get to know... Uh, how do we expand our hermeneutic understanding of things, our perspective, our intent on the reading, um, so we're not just limited to us coming to it, but rather growing in our understanding of text. Does that make sense? Not really. I think what you're trying to say, sorry, um, is, okay, I'll ask the question. Are you trying to say that we can come to the text in different ways in order to gain from it different things? Or are you asking how do we expand the way in which we can come to the text in order to gain different things? Second option. Yeah. So is it like like if Paul's dead, but yeah. I, I want to get to know Paul and his writings? Yes. And how do I go about doing that? Yes. I guess my answer would be that's that's where exegesis comes in. Yep. Mm, yeah. That's where you start looking at the cultural context, the mm. historical context. Yep. Um, you start looking at... Um, the type of literature that it is is it a letter is it a poem yeah um you you're expanding the way you see the text by understanding more about Mm. where it's coming from yeah so it's not like i guess a lot of people approach the bible um there are different ways to approach it obviously but they kind of just try to read it and gain from it just just that that top layer yeah. of reading it. But nowadays when we read a book, there's a movie as well. Yes. There's, you know, we know where the author comes from. We know how many kids the author has. Yes. We know where they were born and how old they are. Like mm. we have all of these other elements and we may not necessarily know that we know those things, but there's a picture in the back of the book of the person mm. and we can go, oh, they're roughly 20-something mm. and they have a dog yes. and a green backyard. Like, mm. So we can gain mm. stuff simply by yeah. seeing a picture, but we don't have that with the Bible. Yeah, so we exactly. need to paint this picture yeah. with what we do know yeah. Yeah. about history and culture. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I think that's, like, that's where that humility comes in. It's like we're never supposed to we get that objective point of view, but then even with our subjectivity, we can seek to understand. And so to, to your question, I would be like, pretty, pretty much it's what you said, Anna. Like it's <laughs> ditto. Yeah. You know, I, I would probably add like, you know, there are probably better scholars as well, for example. I'm, I'm not saying it all comes down to just the 
the ivory tower theologians or hmm. historians, <laughs> but there is a place for that as well. Like I, I think we can throw too much shade. I, I know, especially within my church circles, it's like, oh, biblical scholars. Like I'm like I just read the text. I was like, you know what? This is an ancient text. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ancient historians, and these are people that have spent yes thousands of hours exactly. studying that exactly. text. Yes. So you know, yes. take a note from their book. Like exactly, they, they know what they're talking about. To exactly, some degree. exactly. Yeah. You know, there are some very rich first century or ancient Near Eastern scholars who, and most of them, not all of them, but most of them don't have the hubris to say, well, I completely understand it. But, but he or she will nonetheless seek their best to understand, publish what they've got and contribute to the wide body of, of mm. knowledge as we seek to, quote-unquote, have a date with Paul or Ruth, you know? <laughs> like, let's learn the culture. Let's, you know? Yeah. So, so I completely agree with all of that. But, like, what I was also thinking is mm. there's also benefit in understanding how other people around us draw conclusions out of that. Totally. So before we, before we started recording, we were talking about Disney movies and we were talking about Frozen, right? Yeah. Um, and one of the things we were talking about, well, I was making a point on mm. Frozen, is that um, the movie itself actually raises a lot of different topics and a lot of different points. And while there is sort of a main streamline one which appears at the end, yes. if you talk to, if you, and I have done this, if I ask people, what do you get out of Frozen or what is Fro- what makes Frozen a good movie for you? You hear a hundred different responses because mm. the movie's quite vague mm. in its values and um, primary point per se. And Can I ask a question? Yeah, go. Are you comparing the Bible to Frozen? Easily. And if so, <laughs> are you saying the Bible is vague? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Without hesitation. <laughs> um, but... The appreciation, so in this case, the appreciation for the film actually expands by hearing other people's perspectives. So we have a more in-depth, not just because we can go into the depth of going, how was it made? What was the intent of the author and all that sort of stuff? And what do these people want to get out of the film? And we can learn a lot from that. Mm. But by also kind of going to all the people who watched it, yes, um, we go, oh, wow, there's all this new um, understanding ones and may or may have varying values um, on it. Mm. Um, but they create depth and relationship with that person, with that thing itself. So I know, I know what you're on about. Yeah. yeah. So when it comes to understanding or looking at the biblical text, one of the things I remember doing in like Bible college, which was really, really quite helpful, was going. There are actually different hermeneutical processes or theological perspectives that we take when approaching the text from our perspective. So, and I think you raised it. Be- kind of before with one example of that is your different translations of the bible so like yeah that's your, a great your, translation. your esv is a very um uh, evangelical yeah. um high education so academia based translation process whereas like your message which was done by eugene peterson it's very i mean you could look at it and go well it's just about it's just about getting it into normal um, everyday language, but it is normal everyday white American language. Yeah. Um, so it has a cultural perspective. Yeah. Um, comes from a theological standpoint, but then there's more academic processes to that. So there's a feminist theology, which That's we look at texts and yeah. kind of go, well, let's actually say how does this approach feminism, um, and how does this inform that, mm. um, which is something that may not be in our field of view if we just read the text. Yeah. Well, just on that, because as you as you were saying. I was thinking to myself, like for me, I think there's always a good, I find like, to perhaps using the word exegesis, there could be that baseline. I was like, yeah, I want to take the his- historical context seriously. Sorry, I was just checking. That's all good. Sorry. 
Sorry. <laughs> I see me. I was like, oh, those are falling off. Anyway, where was I? Yeah, like in terms of what you said, I was thinking the same thing in terms of like the type of person as we are as we approach a text. So I still think there's that baseline stuff. Like once we, as you mentioned the movie Frozen, like look at the production and blah, 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 blah. Like once you look at like the historical context, the grammar, the genre, I think, yeah, the type of person as you are, as you approach the text, there it, it creates this beautiful um, things that you as a particular person might have not noticed. The other person knows because of their context. Mm. And the story I've got is actually, I have actually heard there was a particular lesbian couple reading the book of Ruth and they picked up on the fact that the story of Ruth had a mixed family that wasn't typical. Mm. Now, a hermeneutic of love, I would say, or just good exegesis, I think it would have to say that at a historical account level, the context of Ruth being given, um, that once you take that context seriously, I think you could preclude that Ruth and Naomi weren't a lesbian couple. Right. However, um, so that's taking the historical account seriously, right? So the exegesis. However, because um, uh, that's just recognizing that's probably just what it was in mm. that culture. However, but because it was a lesbian couple reading the text, they did pull something out of that reading that I might have missed because I don't come from a mixed family because mm. I'm not. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's that angle. It's it, it's like you still have that baseline, but then the richness of, of how other people experience that same text mm. still with the historical account all taken into account. Because I don't think you can just yeah. then make it mean anything you want. Like I think a, an unhealthy reading would just to be go, well, I think you know, Ruth and Naomi are lesbians because... Yeah, that's but correct. But you could still take the context seriously, but go, ah, but I'm noticing that they're a mixed family because I'm from a mixed family. Yeah. Um, like, that's right. Yeah, that's it, really cool. Yeah. yeah. And it just adds a slight breadth or a depth. Oh, so much. Just yeah. something that already exists while not saying that that is the way it is. Yes. Um, yeah. Mm. Like, um, th- and this isn't original, by the way. I have to credit Walter Brueggemann to this. There's a particular podcast it was on and I'll... Inverse podcast is also a great podcast. I, I don't mind shouting that out. Um, he was on Inverse podcast and he said something along these lines. This is not a direct quote, but just his train of thought is brilliant. He says that we have to be careful not to assume that uh, the white male Western hermeneutic is the center as which all other hum- hermeneutics around that are quote unquote exotic or a fringe as <laughs> if we are. The, and he was talking about himself like as in because he's a white straight male he says as if the default as if we are the default hermeneutics that we can all merely just go quote unquote doing hermeneutics and then see other things like feminist hermeneutics or queer hermeneutics or for that matter southeast asian first nations war veteran i don't know elderly Mm. um we you know to see them as like fringe or exotic to actually go what who made who made a a particular you know white western male hermeneutics mm. the dominant and that's not to you know throw shade at people who are white male because i'm white male but the point <laughs> is the point is just to say actually the the fact that different perspectives while she still do the work of exegesis will pick up on those those beautiful things but yeah i just thought that was a helpful thing for him to say yeah, i was like sure. oh yeah it's like it, like it actually challenged me I'm like oh duh <laughs> yeah. like my my hermeneutics isn't kind of the quote unquote default whilst the rest of yeah. the rest of fringe actually we are a wide family of the human race with different diverse backgrounds yeah. Yeah. and there's such such beauty in some of the other ways that the things that other people pick up in the text that yeah. we won't because of our upbringing and, and background yeah. and the like and those more and I'm not going to call it fringe because I, I like his thing there but 
yeah, especially if you talk about American academia and the um, the people who are doing their interpretations and these sorts of studies, mm. um, like so, there's I think it's called the National Theological Evangelical blah blah blah. I can't remember what exactly it's called, but there's like uh, academia membership thing that you're a part of, mm. um, and that you know it guarantees that your books get published, that you're you know approved, all these sorts of things. Um, but you have to sit within a certain theological standpoint to be within that group, right? Um, and it wasn't until I was listening to dropping podcast name now, like Homebrew Christianity, um, with who's um, Trip Fuller. Trip Fuller. Um, you know, these are guys who were part of that, and then when they moved into the, like open theism and stuff like that, uh, that they were no longer allowed to be part of that system. Um, they got kicked out essentially. Wow. Um, and so, and when I was part of my deconstruction process was hearing that going, oh, there are different ways to understand this outside yeah, of right. even outside of the normal range. Yes. Because um, there is a range, but they, even then it goes further than that. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was reading those and starting to understand, all right, if we actually start hearing it from those perspectives, how much does that change? And then, you know, recently studying that like in Eastern Orthodox churches, the concept that, you know, and it's a theological standpoint mm. that, the whole idea of Jesus died for our sins, that he's somehow the penal substitution concept, that that doesn't exist within their theological yeah, framework. Yeah, 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 yeah. That then changes the way you read in the entirety of Scripture. Yes. Um, yeah, what those words now can mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so getting access to that stuff just creates different perspectives that we can at least interact with and make choices on mm. for our own interpretation process. Yeah. Oh, damn. I've been finding it really interesting listening to um, a Rob Bell book. Um, is it this Bible one? Yes. Uh, um, what is the Bible? Yes. Yeah, we've recommended a lot. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, just uh, listening to the audio book of that, and he he does just that 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 exegetical. He looks at mm. it from lots of different perspectives. Yeah and takes an understanding of the culture it was written in, yeah. which I really, really appreciate because I guess I've, I, to some degree, I've grown up thinking Jesus was white mm. um, yeah, right, because yeah. I think there is an element of that understanding in churches um, and just, yeah, taking a moment to step back and go, oh, hang on, mm. let's read it from the actual cultural context. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's try and understand a little bit more about the culture because let's face it in Australia we we don't know a whole lot about Judaism mm, mm, um that's yeah. you know I think there's what one temple two two maybe, yeah. in in Perth yeah. um <laughs> and like we don't understand a whole lot about that that culture about that religion mm. um so yeah kind of hearing his perspective and his understanding of things yeah um it's, it just it enlightens you. It gives you yeah, just a broader understanding oh, it, of, it of what's going on in that text. Yeah, which it's, is, it's amazing. And I think it does come down to that um, hearing other people's perspectives, hearing other people's experience of reading the text, Yes, um, which is, you know, where like Bible studies and home groups kind of come in yeah. where people take a scripture mm. and, and explore it together. Yeah. Because you're getting that element of different perspectives yes. in one place. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's very that's a very Jewish way of doing it as well. The mm. Jewish community it was about people coming together and wrestling with the text within their own individual stories. 
But I think the difference was they weren't searching for an answer. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's true. That's Whereas right. we are always searching for an yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ooh, right answer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It. I, I like, like, for instance, I, I had a particular occasion where, you know, um, I, I, I was having, we were doing a Bible study and there was a particular person, this was many years ago now, we were doing a particular person, we were, it turning, we were talking about turning the other cheek, you know, where it talks about Jesus doing that. And she came from a domestic violence background. Yeah. Now, what was interesting, it didn't mean that we nullified and voided the historical context, but her being able to say, well, here, here's how... I would approach that if someone from domestic violence. Yeah. Yes, I'm meant to love my enemies, but that doesn't mean I'm a doormat, and this doesn't mean this. And I was like, that's yeah, right. that's powerful, like, to actually go, um, you're bringing a, a richness, a dimension to the text. Yeah, now I can, And now I can actually be, be humble in how I approach people who are in domestic violence situations, for example. Exactly. And, and that changes, sorry, go, that go. changes your experience of that particular yes, text now. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Because you've experienced that yes, alongside yes. of her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it makes you question it as well. It makes you go back to the text and like, oh, is this actually about being a doormat? Mm. And then you read the text and you're like, oh, it's actually not the point. Mm. Yes. Um, yes. And so that helps you to create that deeper understanding. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like it reminds me of like, and this is a kind of a theological concept, but like the whole idea of the hermeneutic spiral. I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. have heard of that within Bible college. Like the idea that, you're a particular type of person approaching the text. Like you, you have a whole world view, your, your mind's infested with kind of Greek thinking because that's our heritage, you know, <laughs> and, you know, Anglo-Saxon, Australian. You really have that, I guess it's going back to the hermeneutics of love. You really deeply, you, you come with all that, but as you dive into the text, it speaks and, and actually have that humility to go, I'm going to, seek to understand it not in a hubris i have it all together way but like, let's enter in in a loving way it changes how you then see how you approach the text which in- reinforms re- actually reforms your own psychology be like okay i can't think of this like a greek anglo white anglo-saxon australian person oh so when it says about sheep being like sheep we're not talking about cooking lamb i know that's a dumb <laughs> <laughs> but like you know what i mean like you go okay all right, so then you read the text again and then you read it, as you guys have said, with those multiple voices and you start to get that richer, fuller mm. breadth to it, um, which I just think is so beautiful. <laughs> and I think there is an element of reading different versions of the Bible yes. allows yeah. that as well. Mm. Agreed. So you can read the good news version mm. <laughs> or mm. the message or King James and that's almost three different perspectives. Yes, mm. um, yes. I know when I was um, writing sermons, I would read several translations of the same text yeah, yeah, yeah. to try and give myself a better understanding. Mm. I would also read other people's perspectives yep. um, through various reference yep. references to that text. So yes, it is that gaining perspective yes, um, and enriching the text through gaining that yes. perspective. Yeah. Yes. It is so beautiful. And understanding where certain perspective comes from is really mm. helpful as well because you're kind of like, well, this is what I think it is. And then you go and read a group and you're like, oh, wow, that doesn't really come from a evangelical perspective. Or you read like, oh, that doesn't really come from a feminist perspective. And you're like, oh, look, I found it. I, I agree with neo-Nazis. Like <laughs> <laughs> That's where my theology comes from. And then you kind of go, maybe I don't really like where that comes from. Um, and that can be self-challenging, which is really can be good. Like, yeah. Knowing what part of the system you're actually have sitted, sat yourself into. Yeah. 
and kind of reflect on that a little bit sometimes. And that's why I think that posture of humility and love is so important. Yeah. You know, because it was actually save you from the Nazi readings. Because <laughs> when you see the context, you see that oh, yeah. Jesus is a brown-skinned Palestinian Jew. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, like totally. Um, do you guys want to say anything more? Because I got one spin, but I don't want to say unless you guys have more you want to say or other. Points no, no, you want to I think we'll out. do like a we'll, we'll do a reflective question more at the end. But give us your spin. Oh, my, my spin is like, and and this is coming from my own kind of. Yeah, it's a hermeneutic, I would say. Um, so when I read the Gospels, how Jesus treats the Old Testament. <laughs> I mean, look, it's a whole other podcast to talk about the violence in the Old Testament. We can touch on it a little bit, maybe. But even just seeing how and Pete Enns talks about, he treats the Old Testament as both in, in a tensious way, tension way, like authoritative and binding and flexible and surprising all at the same time. Yep. And in that sense, um, within my hermeneutic, in terms of I'm trying to model it off how Jesus approaches the Old Testament, for example, like he sees it, he, he reinterprets it through himself and bring his, brings it to conclusion in himself. So you've heard it said, dot, 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 but ah, I say unto you. And he's not throwing it out, but he is, he's certainly reforming it or changing it or shaking it up in very surprising and controversial ways. No wonder they killed him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> On a religious level, you know. But it's also very politics. important to realize that <laughs> Jesus had a hermeneutic. Yes. So, like, you know, Jesus read the scriptures in a certain way mm. and read them, as you say, in a way that upset people. Yes. Um, but it's also then important to remember that Jesus's in, Jesus's hermeneutic is being represented by someone else, like say Matthew, mm. with his own hermeneutic. Yeah, and so there's these layers of it interacting with oh, each totally. other as we go through, um, and we can get access to all those. And so even reading the text itself, when we're aware of that, yeah. and it allows us, and we have to carry it quite lightly in a lot of ways because mm. we kind of go, "Well, it says this, so th- thus it is." It's because like no, Jesus said that, and Jesus thought this sort of stuff. Mm. And it's being presented in this sort of way by this specific author. Mm. Um, the text itself gives us that depth. Yes. If we can understand, we're hearing multiple voices crossing over each other in a really beautiful way. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. But yeah, I just like that riff of like thinking: well, How did Jesus read his own? How did Jesus do his own hermeneutics? Yeah, he is very selective. People say, "Oh no," he's like, I'm like. No, he seems no. to have a focus on the prophets. And well, it was actually interesting. <laughs> um, again, I'm going to keep quoting Rob Bell book a bit because we've been um, reading it. But yeah. uh, he pointed out that Jesus never quoted from Kings. Yeah. Um, all the very all the very violent books of the Bible. Mm. Um, he just yeah, yeah. he just skips over the violence. Yeah. Which is 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 a it's an editing choice. Yeah. <laughs> that he made. Yeah. I love that. It's fantastic. It's very interesting. I guess there's there's also the perspective if you're saying you know Jesus had his own his own hermeneutic. Mm. Um. You know, obviously, so did Paul, so yeah. did Peter, mm. so mm. did John. Mm. Um, they all had their own take. Mm. And while some of them were writing, perhaps from their experience, um, they all had their own intention oh, totally. behind what they were writing. Totally. And they don't all agree. Exactly. Well, this is going to blow my mind. <laughs> I don't have the text in for other people. No, but, me neither. But, but if you, I mean, if you read some of Peter's stuff and you read Paul's stuff, like they're like they don't agree. And there's right. documentation <laughs> in the Bible about them disagreeing as exactly. well. Yes, so. totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and yeah, yeah. So okay, we, yeah, no, yeah. I, I get what you mean. So it becomes a you know obviously it's a different topic to to sort of combat the com- the idea that the 
Bible always agrees with itself because it doesn't. Yeah, and um, I'm I'm, w- I'm with you there. You, you actually see it as a, um, I was going to use the word progressive storyline. It's a bit of a buzzword, but yeah, I could see that. Like you, you look at the Torah and then you see how the prophets then start to disagree with aspects of Torah. And they're like, mm, actually, it's not about sacrifice. It's about mercy. It's about justice. And then you have Jesus who seems to kind of take that angle as well. We're like, uh, it's actually not about all that ritual stuff. It's it's about how we can use that in redeeming ways and but actually then love mercy and walk humbly, for example. Hmm. I mean, I would probably say though, not, 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 not to harshly push back because I actually agree like there is this internal struggles and that has to be outworked itself in fascinating ways i would say though you you do seem to look at paul and john and whatnot when they do quote let's say the psalms or things like that they do i would say there is a consistent thing that they are reinterpreting through the jesus event Mm -hmm. you wouldn't say so or you wouldn't know actually maybe there's nuances (laughs) to that one statement it would make sense i guess if they all knew jesus they were all walking alongside jesus in some context yeah um then yeah that that would definitely impact the way that they interpreted the bible the way that they interpreted the scripture just in the same way that you me ben we all went to the same college Mm, therefore yes the way that we interpret the totally. scripture, the way that we see the world, yes, is going to have a similar shape. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. It's like the rabbi, like the rabbi and his followers. You know, yeah. Jesus being the ultimate rabbi, as, yeah. as as some would say. It's like, yeah, they they a, a good student of the rabbi, a good disciple will learn the ways of the rabbi. Yeah, it's true. So yeah. it's no it's, surprise it's, then you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, you know. There's a certain focal Peter, point that's yeah. in commonality. Like, actually, it's a really good analogy because it's actually a wonderful if you look, analogy. if you look at yeah, us, we all have a certain bottleneck that has a similarity to a certain group of lecturers that we all learn from. Yeah, um, and so all of the authors of the New Testament have a bottleneck, all coming from a very similar p- perspective. They're going to branch out from that, obviously, mm. much in the same way we have. Um, but yeah, so there's something in that. For yeah, sure. that's that's rock and roll. I like that. <laughs> Ooh. So cool. Good. Like, I guess like my last sort of question is. Um, to sort of round out this series and yeah. all that sort of stuff is how are you interpreting the Bible? Or how are you uh, interacting with that lately? If you are at all, sure, sure, um, sure. yeah. What's yeah. where are we at? Who, who wants to go first? Cool. You go. You guys are all nodding towards me. Nod. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, I'm, I'm still a, a, a rich reader of the Bible. Um, I, I will say I probably reading more of the gospels um, and it has to do with my own take of, the gospel being a good enough portrait of Jesus and saying that I, I trust them enough to say, this is what I see. This is who Jesus is. Yeah, we've talked about the last episode about mm. how, anyway, I'll shut up. <laughs> what I'm trying to make is, yes, I do read. So first of all, I engage with scripture, um, mostly with the gospels, some of the letters. I do read the old Testament, mostly the Psalms, the Proverbs. I'm really actually pretty naive when it comes to like Old Testament Bible stories. Like people no, are like, okay. oh, this story that I learned as a, when I was younger. I was like, yeah, I yeah. have no idea where that is. In Probably Bible. puts you in a better position, actually. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, I always thought if I if I ever had kids, like um, I would take the advice for myself that I've heard from others of like, just tell them the gospel story. Just stick with Jesus. <laughs> Don't do Noah's Ark. Drownings. <laughs> it's complicated. No, do it. Just don't hide the details. Yeah. Well, there's that, I guess. But anyway, I, I, the point I'm trying to make is I'm currently reading the Gospels. That's my main take. Um, I do engage with the Old Testament. But I will say, and this comes to what I said before, 
my theological bias is to interpret it through the lens of Jesus. Mm. That comes to my personal conviction. I trust the gospel enough to give me a picture of Jesus and I want to follow Jesus. Jesus seems to interpret his own people scripture as a storyline that's fulfilled in himself. Mm-hmm. And so as such, I want to interpret the Old Testament through that lens. So even when it comes to violent stories in the Old Testament, I don't want to throw them out. I know that's a common thing to do. Um, I, this might sound very bold to say, I actually think that's slightly anti-Semitic. Just going to say it. Just going to put it out there. Has a slight anti-Semitic vibe. It's like, oh, there's poor little Jewish people. It's like, actually, <laughs> this is a... You know, anyway, um, so I, I do read some of those passages as well. I would just try to see how they ha- have a ripple effect forward unto yeah, Jesus with the ultimate epicenter of my interpretive process being through the death and resurrection ultimately. Hmm. That actually what they what theologians call a cruciform theology or cruciform hermeneutic. I want hmm. to, to seek to interpret it all through that. Fair enough. So I do read the scriptures, and it's great. You talk a lot, man. Okay, Ben, go. (laughs) This is what I have to deal with. (laughs) Come on, guys. It's not all bad, is it? Um, So I guess, like, for me, I haven't really been diving in directly with scripture probably in a while now. Mm. Um, Although when I do read, it's always very broad, so... Um, I think I've mentioned the Bible, the Bible, the Bibliotheca um, books that I have, which yeah. is, you know, basically it's a Bible which has taken out all your chapters and verse markings, lots of stuff. So, and it's, and it's been a big helpful thing for me for quite a while to read it more like a novel or to read yeah. it more like a large section of text. Like it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it was, yeah, I would argue definitely as it was intended or it originally was meant to be. Mm. Um, and it just helps me to understand it more as uh, a, an overarching plot. Within its within each letter or within each thing, yes. um, which I find quite helpful, but also like a, a lot of my interaction with it comes from like listening to podcasts and reading some larger books on the background theologies and stuff like that. Which is just, um, I guess, I have, what we've talked a little bit about here is um, getting really interesting information about the historical context at the time, but also hearing the interpretation processes at the top level mm. um, and just letting that inform my own perspective and letting myself reflect on that. So that would be my Bible interaction process for me currently. So yeah, not so much directly with the text, but more around it, which yeah. I think is just is completely yeah, which I do valid. a lot of that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't want anyone to hear this going like, "You must be reading the Bible." Oh like, no, God no, 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 no. no. <laughs> oh, Everyone's I'm about to change that perspective. Yeah, yeah, oh, go. Dive, yeah. Dive in. Um, my Bible's pretty dusty. I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, so I went from being a Bible college student, where the Bible was my textbook to being a pastor where the bible was (laughs) also a textbook (laughs) um and so since um not being a pastor anymore i guess i've had the opportunity just to step back and not be so um i guess rigid about the bible yeah um so it's kind of given me the opportunity to think, mm. um, which is really refreshing. It is. Just yeah. to absorb yeah. life around me and yes. and how that yes. is biblical in and of itself. Mm. Um, mm. You know, the way that God is impacting on the universe, the yeah, way that, that people 
um, are impacted by Christ that is in all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm not reading scripture mm. um, constantly at the moment um, or in any capacity really, but I am experiencing Christ's word yeah, absolutely. Um, through life. Oh right on. I love that I love so that. much. <laughs> and it goes back to that Sola Scriptura thing of why I'm like, the yeah. Sola Scriptura, you know, yeah. Christ is present. And yeah. actually, what would it look like? Yeah, to connect with. That's beautiful. I love that so much. People. Oh. <laughs> That's so awesome. Good. Yes. Rock and roll. Sausage roll. Well, I think we'll <laughs> close it up there. Do you say that? This is a question. Yeah, Very go serious yeah. question. Yeah, ask your question away. Does Nathan say that in every single podcast? No, but no, I've been it's saying it's it recently. It's a recent development I've noticed. Is, um, so there's three things I say. I, I, mostly I just say rock and roll. Like I've been saying it like in like dialogue every day. Or rock and roll, sausage roll. And someone mentioned to me, this is an original, but they, I said rock and roll. And they were like, eh, rock and roll, buckaroo. It's from, apparently it's from this show, people who look for ghosts. <laughs> I don't know. They're like, yeah. Right, okay. I was like, oh, cool. Rock and roll, okay. buckaroo. <laughs> the sausage roll rhymes are much more helpful. Yeah, I, I like that. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I w- was almost wondering for a second, they're like, have you been dropping like lines in all of the episodes <laughs> and i would have been so impressed oh, that would have been amazing you gotta find it like yeah. that line finding the line <laughs> boom rock That's and roll sausage it. roll oh, no. <laughs> please edit that out no, not <laughs> it stays it stays well we'll end it up there hopefully this has been um interesting for you guys it's and created good. some new perspectives and um encouraged you to look at it in a different way Mm. Um, and indeed as I think Anna pointed out seeing all things in mm. different ways and being open to hearing that so Amen. yeah <laughs> we all well, say bye we all say bye and 3, 2, 1 bye, bye.